Welcome to the Side Action Podcast, the sports gambling show that covers everything in the world of sports betting from A through Z. We'll cover the four major sports as well as anything and everything in between worth some action and we'll increase the size of your bankroll. And here we go. Okay, welcome to the Side Action, episode 32 of season four, the finale. Uh, my name is Jim Miglars, a.k.a. Weggs. You can follow me at Wegspool on Twitter and on Instagram. And this is Steve Roberts, a.k.a. Action. You can follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. Follow the podcast at SideActionPod on Twitter and, and SideActionPodcast, my mistake, on Instagram. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, you got to get that handle right. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people asking me. I, I want to follow you on Instagram on, you know, for the podcast and I directed them the wrong place. So, uh, <laughs> so action. Uh, obviously, we had the final four weekend. That was exciting. How did you enjoy the final four? It was fun. We um, we watched here at home Saturday. We went out and ran some errands midday, but made sure that we were settled in back here on the couch Saturday night and watched both games here at the house. It was very enjoyable. Incredible late night game. Probably one of the greatest ones in my memory, of course. Right. Right. How about and you? Then- and then Monday was uh, was a chill at home kind of situation. Yeah, you... same so thing. Late. It's so late. I know it really is. How was you the know, final four party? Well, it was awesome. I mean, we had, including me, sixty-two people came to the bar. Wow, that's a good turnout. <laughs> so, huge turnout. Uh, Rob and Matt were very happy, I'm sure, at the four shadows. I did say that we're going to be twenty-five or thirty, so <laughs> <laughs> a little understated. A lot of people bring friends. We took over half the bar there. We had the back half, so it was really fun. Ran some strip cards, which were, and not strip clubs. That's what everybody's asking. A strip club? No, no, a strip card. I mean, I can strip for you, but uh, I'm always open to doing that. But, but no, it was pretty fun. I was running strip cards for each half, and that was a big hit. Um, even got a shout out at the end, you know, Rob, because I mean, we just, I don't know how much money we made them that night, but it was, uh, it was a good old time, and. Obviously, the games helped. And the first game wasn't so great, as we know, uh, but the second game was really exciting. So it came down to the wire both. For, and it always with, with those strip cards, you're just waiting for with basketball. You never know. It's not like football. So really strip cards, I think that strip cards is really just a Chicagoland thing, I'll <laughs> tell you. So we might need to do a little description here for our many listeners who are outside of Chicagoland. Sure. So many of you have probably done a square for a Super Bowl party which is essentially you're matching up the score of the two teams. Like if one in football, it's pretty simple. If it's seven, seven, you have a team that has one team has seven. The other team has seven, only one out of a hundred of the squares, you know, qualifies to win. Well, with basketball and obviously with less people, you're not going to have hundred people sign up for squares, which you could have done if I knew there were going to be 60 people. So the strip card is just basically the number zero through nine, and you sign up on a line. I, we kind of don't determine the number up front. And then in this case, uh, the bar actually had these kind of scratch-off strip cards were on the left-hand side. So you have the 10 people sign up for the thing. It's, we did $5. The winner gets the 50 bucks. And as we scratch away, you know the number, zero through nine, and it's just the total of the ones digit for the score. So if it's 32 to 30 at, at the half, you, you, two plus zero is two. That's the number. Whoever has two wins the 50 bucks. So mm-hmm. um, I did have to explain that 17 times on, or maybe 50 times on, on Saturday. 
But um, in the end, it's a great way to get everybody in, engaged in the scoring, both in the first half and the second half. I ended up doing three strip, strip cards for the last half of the Duke game, Duke-North Carolina game in and of itself. So that was – I had 150, 150 big ones in my pocket. I was going to get rolled in the bathroom for that. But, um, but yeah, it was fun. So uh, good time and then a little bit of karaoke after that, as you can imagine. And you know me, four hours later after going to sleep, I was – up to play volleyball in the morning to, to sweat it out. So, wow. um, and then the pool obviously came to an end on Monday night. It came down to the final score as well because uh, it had a two-way tie for first and a three-way tie for third. And the tiebreaker does determine those things. Your guy Cola made got third, so we got the first place of that grouping in the third. And then, unfortunately, the guy who actually picked Kansas, the champ, his his score was 53-30 action. Uh, that's not an advisable score, maybe for a high school game. Uh, so <laughs> second, um, unfortunately, in that one. And my cousin Amy finished fifth, who was leading most of the way. But she, you know, she just had a really high score. Uh, but it was great, and uh, 159 people finished out. Uh, good good times. Paid everybody out yesterday, and. Good stuff. And I know, obviously, Mahar won the player pool. I didn't even see who won second or third there. Yeah, I uh, was just thinking that I, I haven't tallied the final scores yet. It's been a busy week. <laughs> My bad, dudes. Sorry, fellas. We'll get the money later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get around to it when we get to it. Hopefully, exactly. they're not going to charge me interest. Right. Well, let's jump into uh, the action from the weekend action. We had, obviously, the final four. Uh, we kind of alluded to the, the first game was a bit of a, you know, it's too bad, right? I mean, Nova had a good season, but they were a little undermanned, as I kind of anticipated. Kansas, I had the money line in this game, but they they covered easily in this one, the four and a half. The total was 132, and it went over, um, and it was 81-65 final. Nova made it close, maybe with about eight or nine minutes to go. They cut it to six, but they just didn't have the juice, and, and Kansas was able to kind of hit the throttle at the end, and and open it up for that 16-point victory. Yeah, we had the over two in this podcast, and uh, it was certainly aided by the hot shooting start of Kansas. I think Abaji was like six for six at one point, and yeah. um, that was all she wrote in terms of total in that game. And ultimately, it probably sealed the player of the tournament for Abaji too, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, a little questionable, if you ask me. McCormick had to in that game in the first game and he played great um so we'll talk about that in a minute so yeah so kansas advances pretty easily and then we have the big marquee game north carolina against duke you know the game was nip tuck the whole way i mean nobody really took control of it per se duke was a four point favorite in this 150 and a half point total and in this one you know it was it was a great game i mean it kind of went down there was some you know obviously our guy uh, Armando Baycott was a beast. He continues to be a beast in this Final Four. Um, but other guys contributed. Caleb Love just, you know, he didn't actually shoot great from the outside, but he made a lot of a lot of big shots. And Duke answered. So down the stretch, this game was incredible. I mean, it was like shot for shot, like three. I think it was three straight possessions. Were you know back to back to back threes, and the difference was really Mark Williams misses missed those two free throws. At uh, one stage, and then that and one that didn't count. It was just a on the floor foul because college is different than the pros. But essentially, it was just the free throw shooting down the stretch. And I know you you chided the Duke defense, but it just felt like a great basketball game. And, and North Carolina comes on top, 81 to 77. 
Yeah, really incredible game. I think uh, Coach K was quick to point out the missed free throws too, because oh. obviously it wasn't his fault that they lost the game. You know, it was Mark Williams at the free throw line. Yeah. Uh, but I think it was more about North Carolina going out there and taking it than it was Duke losing the game. Caleb Love's shot, I think you mentioned it on here, when they were up one with like 18 seconds left, that shot just took some ridiculous onions, which I think Bill Raftery called out as well on the telecast. And uh, it was just incredible. Great finish to a great Final Four game. Right. So as we go to the final on Monday, I mean, you obviously had Kansas against Duke, so you had the winner there. I, I had Duke, North Carolina. I mean, it was a very interesting game. You know, Baycott got hurt uh, during that Final Four game against Duke, and he did return, which was shocking. When he first happened, it was like, oh, yeah. maybe his ankle or something. Definitely sprained it. He came back to play. That was the story. You know, I, I was t- telling you via text that I had – before the, the Duke game, I hedged my bet with North Carolina, getting five to one odds for them to win the title. So I had the money on there. So I hedged with Kansas. I got a little greedy. I kind of thought Kansas was going to win pretty easily. And instead of just taking the money line uh, under parlay thing, I ended up doing the minus four for, for Kansas because that was the line and the under. And Kansas came out seven nothing. I'm like, all right, this looks good. And then North Carolina just went on a tear at the end of that half. Outscoring like 16 and nothing at one stretch, leading at 15 uh, at the break. And, you know, that's the largest lead, we'll say later, we already know Kansas won, the largest lead anybody's overcome to win the title. In the second half, it was like a totally different game. Bill Self actually got into him, I guess, and Kansas played great, stormed back, but it was still a great game down the stretch. Um, my cover looked like it was going to be okay when, when Kansas had the ball with about four and a half seconds to inbound, but they – he threw the ball and the guy stepped on the line. I, I couldn't believe it. Actually, it was a terrible play call. Yeah, yeah. And probably the last guy on the floor that Kansas wanted to have at the free throw line. I think Harris had shot like 20 free throws all season. And so it's just t- totally remarkable. I had uh, Christian Brown prop over 12 and a half. And he, he was sitting on 12 points. And I'm thinking, this is great. They're going to get it to Brown. He's going to go to the free throw line. And, right. of course, he took the ball out of bounds. So. <laughs> And then after that, Bill Self inexplicably chooses not to foul when they certainly had an opportunity to foul uh, Love with his back to the basket. And uh, really kind of lucky that Self and Kansas ended up winning that game. They almost blew it on multiple occasions. Right, right. I mean, the big play, too, was Baycock kind of had a drive and fell. He slipped and his ankle gave out again, and then he went out of the game. I would think they were down by two at that point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was kind of one of those things that the game was right there, even though – Kansas stormed back and took the lead. Um, and, yeah, like you said, the strange thing. I mean, obviously, you're supposed to foul because they they, they were a one-and-one, too. They weren't even in the bonus. But Love got a look. It was a decent look, but it was less that he missed it. And Kansas is a winner, so Bill Self has two championships. And it was kind of unlikely, but they snuck up on everybody and won the title. Yeah, probably one of the easier roads in recent memory, though, of the teams that they had to face to get there. Yeah, I know. I mean, they didn't have to beat a one seed, you know, obviously in the Final Four, and they really didn't have to beat, I guess, Melanova was a two seed, but mm-hmm. in their region just fell apart, so they kind of walked in. But, you know, hey, you got to win. It was a crazy tournament, and they got it done, and North Carolina was game in the final, so. Right. Closes out a great season action, so uh, nice work on the call there, but uh, hopefully you won some money. I ended up, whatever. I mean, I did pretty good. The, the Sweet 16 into the Final Four, I did very well, so I'm not really complaining. 
Yeah, same. Made up for all my losses opening weekend. That's right. That's right. Well, let's transition to golf action. This is our last segment of, of the season here, and we'll obviously talk about the Valero Open. I know you were all hot on that. Not, not really, but we'll talk about the big show, the Masters here. So how did you fare last week with the Texas Open? Um, I did okay. I had a couple of match- matchups that came in, none of them on the podcast here. We had one push with Matsuyama, and then uh, Matt Kuchar actually played really well last weekend and should have won the tournament, ended right. up second in uh, beating Johnny Vegas in the other matchup we had. And uh, J.J. Spahn got the victory, which propelled him into a trip to Augusta this week, in which case I'm sure he's going to fall flat on his face after the win last weekend. I'm sure he's happy to be there, and he's going to really suck it up this week. Right. I mean, it is tough. It's a tough course. You've never been there before. I mean, Augusta is, I mean, it's a little soft, I guess, with the rain. We'll talk about that in a minute. But rookies don't fare well, typically, in this tournament. So why don't you give us a layout? I mean, obviously, the Masters is one of four majors. It's probably the most prestigious, I suppose. I mean, I guess it just has such lore. I mean, obviously, I like I like the U.S. Open and, and you know, the British Open or the Open uh, actually more in some ways. But the Masters, because you have to have won a tournament to get there, it's such a prestigious tournament. So give us the layout of, of the deal. Yeah, the only uh, the, one of the four majors that's played at the same course every year. That's true. Um, Augusta National, and uh, this year they've actually lengthened it to, I think they added like 40 yards in total, plays yeah. 75-10 now, which is one of the longest uh, courses on tour, and uh, you mentioned the rain earlier, I think that is really going to soften up the golf course, which will ultimately make it play longer, feel longer than the 75-10 even, and mm-hmm. um, it includes par fours that are much longer than typical ones on tour which is one of the reasons that makes it so challenging nine of the far of the 10 par fours play over 440 yards and three of the par fours are over 490 yards so um, super long which i think gives some advantage to those players who are longer off the tee right a couple things for this course too the par fives are where you have to really score if you're gonna Mm -hmm. make make hay and then Famous 16, right? 16 is the the hole that usually you get a hole in one. We can talk about that as a bet. Um, that's the hole that usually, if there's a hole in one on the course, that's where it is. And especially on the last day, it's such amazing, you know, some amazing stories and and shots over the years. Um, but uh, you know, obviously, with the Masters, I mean, it's one of those things that it's a whole week of activities where they've got the par three thing today. They've got the what the champions dinner and I mean, it's, it's such a, a history, you know, Butler cabin and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's 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 special uh, for for certain. So you've got a couple of other things here besides the history. You've got some injuries to note. Yeah, a um, couple of players limping into this tournament this week, coming off some sort of various injuries. Paul Casey, certainly a Masters contender. Usually he's got back spasms that he's dealing with. Bryson DeChambeau is... I can't even tell you what his injuries are, but certainly have no interest in touching him whatsoever. Abe Answer has a couple of injuries he's dealing with, along with Webb Simpson and the defending champion Hideki Matsuyama has been battling injury this early season. But how did he play last week? He won his matchup, it looks like. But was what was he? Where was his finish? Actually missed the cut. Uh, both he and Rory both missed the cut last week at the Texas Open, and they had the same score, so it ended up being a push. What did I tell you about about Rory? Uh, 
you know, I, I think part of that is, uh, you know, towards the end there on Friday afternoon, if these guys don't think they can really contend at the Valero, they're happy to uh, maybe shave off a, a stroke or two and miss the cut so that they can get to Georgia a little bit sooner. Right, right. So you've noted the course history. Basically, the people that play well at the Masters always play well at the Masters, traditionally. The Jordan Speeds, the Tiger Woods, you know, obviously Mickelson's played well. Um, and, and what do you think? Why do you think that is? I think it's just the nuances of the course. Mm-hmm. Um, it has bent grass greens that are extremely firm and fast and supremely wide undulating fairways where uh, knowing the fairways and the greens is so important on every single hole because you really have to place the balls in a certain spot to make sure that you can make your approach to the green and and uh, and play well around the green. And so the players that have played here on numerous occasions typically fare well, and you often see players who have played here well before do it again. This, out of any other course on tour, is the most predictive in terms of course history. Right, right. And then, you know, some of the, you know, elements, you know, Amen Corner and things like that, there, there's certain stages of the course that if you aren't scoring well, you're going to struggle, right? Um, I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago uh, with Molinari, and I mean, he just totally blew up. And, you know, this, even uh, Spieth a couple of years ago, what do you put two in the water uh, in that stretch? And it's just an interesting course. It's, it's, it's weird because like 17, if I'm not mistaken, 16, 17, 18, I'm not saying they're easy, easy holes, but it's really in that kind of 12 to 15 range of holes that people make moves or go fall down. Uh, cause it's, it seems like they'll carry through the last couple holes if they're winning on Sunday, for example. Um, certainly. Of course. So. Well, hey, let's go over some of the odds, and and maybe before we get in the odds, let's talk about how. I mean, you've bet this this tournament before in the last few years, I'm sure. So we know you're going to do some matchups, but how else do you approach uh, betting the Masters? Yeah, I mean, this tournament, much like the other uh, majors, typically brings with it a lot more props and novelty plays that you can play throughout the tournament. You can bet. Um, you know, uh, well, you can really on a lot of golf tournaments nowadays, you can bet to make or miss the cut. You right. can bet to show bets that we call. You can take top fives, top tens, top 20s, even top 40s nowadays. Um, there are only 91 golfers in this tournament, which is a lot right. lower than typical uh, for other tour events. And um, and there you can also bet like different categories, like top uh, Irishman, top mm-hmm. European top Asian player, uh, top South African, top Australian. There's also, I think, five or six amateurs that play in this tournament. So you can bet on the top amateur if you choose to as well. Yeah, I saw Rivers was posting they were grouping players by groups of six, I think. Okay. They did groupings, and they did Mm -hmm. basically like a mini odd situation where it's like plus 300 for this guy, plus 450. It's kind of like divisions in football, but – how they will do in the tournament in that grouping. So that's kind of a unique way to go. You don't see that. Maybe you'll see that in other majors, but you won't see that in other tournaments for sure. Mm-hmm. So we know that the favorites, John Rahm, and he was, you know, before going in, before Shuffler won the last tournament, he was the kind of number one player in the world. He's kind of the top of the board, you know, low, plus 1,100 to win or 1,000 to win, depends on where you see it. His top 10 is plus 110. Other guys, you got your guy Scheffler's up there, plus 1,400, and this is from Bet Rivers for me, plus 163 to make the top 10, and Justin Thomas, 
at, again, kind of the round odds, plus 1,100, plus 110. Uh, is there a break after that, or do you think that it goes down to, like, the top seven guys that you would say that – I know you're not going to bet them to win the tournament, but maybe you're – it's more of the sure, maybe top ten guys you can kind of hedge your bet. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a tier. I think you nailed it. Those top three guys are tier 1A, without mm-hmm. a doubt. Rom, Thomas, and Scheffler. Um, they are certainly playing the best right now. Rom has won this event before. Justin Thomas has never won it, obviously. But the key that Justin Thomas has going into this year's Masters, which is new to him, is his caddy, Bones McKay. I think I've heard the name a dozen times already this week on Masters content because Bones yeah. is Mickelson's former caddy. And they oh, obviously right. have pretty good history at the course. Bones, out of anyone else, uh, knows the course and certainly is going to be helpful to Justin Thomas around the fairways and the greens this week. Right, right, exactly. So you said did, Rom did win this before? Did yeah, Rom, Rom's a former winner. winner. Yeah. Okay, okay. I thought he won the U.S. Open, but okay. Um, yeah, but anyway, neither there nor there. He's the favorite. So there's other guys I talked about, Rory. He's plus 1,600. I'm not going to touch him, of course. Maybe maybe top 10, plus 163. But some of these guys, Dustin Johnson, I mean, he's won before, plus 1,800, plus you know, 188. Brooks Kepka, he's a stud, plus 2,000, plus 200. Uh, Shoffley's been in the mix before. I mean, Spieth, he's a plus 2,200, uh, plus you know, 225. What about Tiger Woods? I mean, we got to talk about him. you got a, a note loader. He's, he's kind of surprisingly plus 3,500 to win plus 350 for the top 10, you've gotten plus 115 to make the cut, and you said it's a smaller field. Is that is that your approach that you're looking at that? Well, I mean, uh, certainly I can't believe we've gotten this long without talking about Tiger because he has right. been the news of the week, the big press conference yesterday where he officially announced that he's in. And, you know, when I, when I heard rumblings over the weekend that he was going to play, I had initially lined up my mind and and told my family likewise that I would be betting against him in every way possible because coming off of the car accident he almost lost his foot like a I year know. ago and uh, I'm shocked for him to be able to come back and play in this Masters tournament initially I thought was just for show and the more that I've heard and read content this week I you know a lot of these golf riders they know Tiger Woods and they I've heard the same thing out of everyone's person everyone's mouth that there's no way Tiger would come back and play in this tournament if he didn't believe that he could win. And so mm-hmm. I've paused on my uh Tiger fade a little bit and talk about right. course history. He has like the number one course history of any golfer of all time. He's never missed a cut right. here as a professional. Right. So yeah, 115 seems like a logical one. Um I wouldn't I mean if you and I, I was the same way. I was going to fade him even maybe to go to miss the cut. Uh, you know, the number is there. But but plus 350 is not a bad number, you know, for yeah. <laughs> top 10. If he's, so the thing about Tiger is, and it, I've seen this over the last 15, 20 years, and I, you know, for me, not that I'm anti-Tiger, I'm pro-Tiger, but, you know, we won all those majors and then he kind of fell off to face the earth for a variety of reasons. You know, I, w- I was on board that he'd never win another major, I really uh-huh. thought. I mean, probably a couple of years ago but usually he's all in meaning playing great or he's playing poorly I mean, he doesn't maybe he doesn't make the cut but i mean i mean he makes the cut but he's not going to be in the top 10 so it's, it's like an all or nothing thing but plus 350 is not a bad yeah. number for top and the thing about tiger is that is the stamina you know you've you've augusta is very hilly and apparently it's difficult to walk i don't know i've never been there but 
um, people are suggesting that he may not have a stamina to go all weekend. And so that's where I think you might find a little bit more value if you can target him in the first round, the second round to make the cut, as opposed to seeing how he's going to perform through Saturday and Sunday, because I think there's a good chance he'll fade out uh, rounds three or four. Right. Some of the other guys I've noted, I mean, you already brought up Chambeau, and I, I guess I didn't know about the injury. I was wondering why his odds were so low, because the guy's a stud. Um, is Fleetwood hurt? His numbers are pretty low, plus 5,500, plus 550 to make the top 10. He's been great over the last three years, but maybe he's got an injury that's not disclosed. I'm not aware of any injuries, but I know that he has certainly not been in good form lately. And Justin Rose, too, he's been a stud over the years. I mean, he's getting a little older, but plus 9,000. And plus 600 uh, to make the top 10, I'd probably put a flyer on that just because he's, you know, he's played well. And he may have won. Maybe he has not won. But he's definitely won, you know, majors before. Um, so what are the matchups that you like in this this one? Oh, you're going with Rory, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I, I really think that uh, despite Rory's poor play at the Masters, actually, I think that's, that's probably a bad description. He did miss the cut last year, but the several – uh, tournaments before that he had played really well here at the masters and he was kind of at that top tier i think he had a couple of fifth place finishes the last couple of years mm-hmm. before last year and uh, i think that this year he's going to play well and and on the flip side i'm happy to fade dustin johnson so i found a little bit of value here with rory minus 105 over dj gotcha you've also listed luke list he's been on our list before um you've got him both below at 151 to win the tournament but you like him over this Van Ruyen? Is that his head? Yeah. <laughs> Eric Van Ruyen is a, uh, a debutante here, a South African player. And uh, I, I uncovered a little nugget on a podcast I listened to this week that Luke List, despite his first tournament here as a professional, actually played at the Masters as an amateur back in 2005. Uh-huh. And despite that being 17 years ago, <laughs> he actually played pretty well. He finished 33rd that year and won honors as the low amateur that year. And so, as you know, I find I found value on Luke List a lot of weeks this season, and uh, I think he's going to play pretty well this week, and I'm really happy to take him in this matchup, although I forgot to write the odds. I'm pretty sure it's minus 110 over Eric Van Royen at DraftKings. Right. You've got Finau, too, or Siwoo Kim. And, you know, Finau's a guy who a couple years ago, I mean, first of all, he almost broke his ankle in the par three contest and then came out and played incredibly, uh, even for four days. He's been good in tournaments. Uh, so you like him minus 110 over Siwoo Kim. Yeah, Tony Finau is another guy with a really strong course history here at the Masters. And on the flip side, Siwoo Kim is a player who probably has a chance to compete as the as the best Asian golfer. But I do think that Finau, with his course history, has an edge here, minus 110 as well. Gotcha. And then you do like Scheffler over Rahm, plus 137. Uh, do you know, has Scheffler played in the Masters before? Scheffler has played here once before, I believe, maybe twice. He might have played in that fall Masters. He definitely played last year mm-hmm. um, and played pretty well, in fact. And, um, you know, this is on top of that. His form is just incredible right now. He's won like three out of the last five events. And obviously you mentioned number one in the world. And I'm just not high on John Rahm this week. I think that his short game has been really lacking lately. And the short game around the greens at Augusta is super important. So I'm taking Scheffler at a nice plus plus price, 137. Okay. Looks like you're all over Luke List here. You've got uh, him in the top 20 for plus 330 on top of your 
you know, 150 to one bet. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. obviously noted why. What about this Russell Henley bet? Uh, top 20 plus 185. That's bet online. Yeah. Yeah, Henley is a player who I think is a young guy, and I'm not, he might actually be a debutant here this week, but he has been uh, a name that I've heard a lot uh, amongst the golf betting community this week as a dark horse in this tournament. Although I think the distance is probably not going to favor for him. He's not necessarily the longest hitter on tour, but his irons have been really good lately, and you've seen his odds decrease accordingly. And I don't think I'm going to target him as a winner of this tournament, but I think he could get into the top 20. Gotcha. And then the other guys that are kind of the longer shots, you've got Cam Smith at 16 to one, uh, Joaquin Neiman at 65 to one, good old Seamus Power, I like that name, 135 to one. You already mentioned the list. So why these guys? Why did you target these guys? Well, um, I, I was looking at players who were long off the tee. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at strokes gained off the tee is really important. And what I look for in the Masters and around the green, as well as driving distance. I think, you know, you mentioned it earlier. And par five scoring. Luke List is in the top category of both of those week in and week out. And I think that these other guys are certainly right up there, too. Cam Smith played well, winning at TPC Sawgrass this season. And uh, and Neiman just dazzled at Riviera Country Club, and both of those courses uh, correlate very well to the Masters. Gotcha. Yeah, distance control is important. That's what I was listening to today. That distance control, of course, you know, getting <laughs> targeting the greens, right? Getting getting the right spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, but it's hard. For, you know, that's 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 feel. You know, where they're at. That's probably why. You know, Scheffler was probably in a good spot, but. Um, well, we'll see. I haven't made any bets yet. I've got some ideas, but probably way sh- shots in the dark, a little more than yours are probably more, you know, researched. But, uh, you know, put a, little, put a little action on there, make it interesting. Yeah, and um, nowadays in golf, you don't have to get involved pre-tournament, too. You're going to see these odds that pop up every single day after the round is complete, and you can even get involved on round-by-round matchups, too, if you see a couple players tomorrow that you really like and interested in betting them on Friday, you can pick them in a matchup to beat somebody on Friday. That was that was one thing I was going to ask you. So besides doing it pre-tee-off, is there in-game, like you would see in a regular you know, basketball game or something, is there in-game odds, whether it's to win or top five? What do you usually see when you're doing in-game for golf? Um, certainly there is in-game. On Thursday and Friday, it's a little bit, uh, more sporadic because there are two waves typically because there's so, all the golfers are in the tournament right. you've got a morning wave and an afternoon wave so i don't think you're going to see too many odds changes in there in those timelines mm-hmm. but um at the end of each day you're going to see new odds posted after thursday's round is complete and similarly for friday and then as you move into the weekend both saturday and sunday typically a lot of these books are going to post live odds after every stroke mm-hmm. so everyone's on the course usually at one time and uh, by that point they filtered through where the leaders are playing later in the day and you're going to see live odds much like you would a basketball or football game right now would you dabble on this whole hole in one in the tournament or those kind of props or you just stick to the player props the players themselves yeah. The hole-in-one prop has been hot lately. I think Polly Howard was talking about it, how he's yes. beaten him the last several years in a row. I, I'm not sure what the odds are, but I haven't bet it. And uh, if I were going to, I would certainly be looking at hole-in-one, yes. Yeah, me too. Me too. I don't see it at Rivers, to be honest with you. So 
I'd have to look at other books around to see if I can find it. But yeah, I was I was interested in that one for sure. And there weren't a lot of no props from what I saw. Uh, mm-hmm. Rivers anyway, it was all the, the stuff we're talking about. Just you know, betting you know, basic index props. You're not doing like the no, you know, Tiger not to make the cut. No, there's not a lot of yes nos like you would see with the Super Bowl, which is a little disappointing. But you know, right. Uh, I think some of these books uh, don't really like putting the no prices up on some of these things. Well, great. Any, any more for the masters as we sign off the season here? No, I don't think so. That was all the content. I obviously have a lot more bets in, in my app here, but those are kind of my top choice ones that I wanted to share with the listeners. That's awesome. Well, great action. As we complete season four, a little look back, we had a great season. You know, we improved in the, the circuit contest, maybe we took a little beating maybe early in the tournament, but we made made it up the last couple of weekends. And obviously you've done really well in golf. So overall, I think we had a really good, successful season. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's enjoyable catching up every week and talking football, basketball, and golf here at the end. And certainly looking forward to reconvening next year and we'll go after that circuit prize once again. Yeah, we'll be out there in August, uh, you know, obviously – we keep promoting it. Everybody's everybody is welcome to join us out there. You know, get a big following over at the you know stadium swim pool and and actually you know as an aside, I was talking to Dempsey did come to the party. He's talking nice. about maybe entering the circuit contest. I told him Don and it had kicked around the idea in the past. I'm like they could split an entry. It'd be nice to get more people than us in there just to kind of discuss it once in a while. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's exciting. We'll be doing it again next year, starting in late August. So for the loyal listeners, we're taking a break. We'll be off for, you know, six months or so or four months, I guess. Four months, right? Whatever. Yeah, August. <laughs> Half months. And, uh, you know, but follow our content. You know, we, we still are active on, on Twitter and stuff. I obviously post stuff for the blog. And, you know, don't be a stranger. You can hit us up on our, our various platforms, you know, me at wegspool.com. And, obviously, you can hit me on, on Twitter, Instagram at wegspool. And you can follow me on Twitter at 31SRoberts. All right. And follow us at Side Action Pod on Twitter and Side Action Podcast on Instagram. So 130 episodes, actually. We did it, man. We, we keep doing it. Nice. <laughs> All right, buddy. We'll have a great trip to South Carolina. Enjoy the your new clubs, and uh, we'll reconvene in a few months. Sounds great. <laughs> All right, brother. That's a wrap for this episode of the Side Action Podcast. We appreciate all of your listens, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you all again next week on Thursday for some more hot picks and side action. podcast its owners and associates take no responsibility for the opinions or statements made by the show hosts or their guests statements or show topics are not necessarily the beliefs of this podcast and opinions between talk show hosts may conflict individuals following the advice given on the podcast accept their own risk of losses from wagers made as the side action podcast its owners hosts associates or guests will not guarantee any advice given the opinions and advice given on the side action podcast is for entertainment purposes only gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER intro and outro and transition music credits 
Song Titles, Jerry 5, and District 4 by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.org. Licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0. Creativecommons.org backslash licenses backslash by 3.0.